Hi, I'm Madeline Henners. I work at United Theological Seminary, and you're listening to Holy Conversations, the podcast of the Wesleyan Covenant Association. Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Bob Kaler. I'm one of the co-hosts of Holy Conversations, and we have been taking some time to share with you the audio of the talks that were given at the WCA Global Gathering, which took place at Fraser Memorial Church in Montgomery, Alabama on May 1st, 2021. And the second talk is by Crystal Gauld. Crystal has been on our podcast before. She has since gotten married, and her talk is entitled Audacious, Sharing the Faith with Who?, And you might say Crystal is one of our audacious young adult leaders in the WCA movement. She's been a United Methodist since she was eight years old, born in Florida, raised in Pennsylvania and New Jersey. She's a graduate of Rutgers University, where she has a Bachelor of Arts in English with a minor in African American Studies. She received a Master of Science in Counseling at Cairn University and PA, and is also working on a Doctor of Theology degree at Evangelical Seminary in Myerstown, PA. Crystal's been a delegate to General Conference twice. She is the Executive Director of Dignity Housing in Philadelphia, which is a a tremendous nonprofit that works with people who have uh, housing insecurity. So, Her talk is going to be one that really stokes your fire. She is an energetic, enthusiastic, and uh, you're going to really lead into what Crystal has to say about being audacious for God's kingdom. After her talk, hang around for a short interview I did with Crystal after she spoke. Good morning. First, giving glory to God, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in the sweet presence of his Holy Spirit. I give deference to President Keith Boyette. I give honor to these speakers who labor in ministry with me, and grace to all of you who found it fit to be here with me today. I invite you to join me in your Bibles. I will be reading from the book of Acts, chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. One day, about three o'clock in the afternoon, Cornelius had a vision. An angel of God, as real as his next-door neighbor, came in and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared hard, wondering if he were seeing things. Then he said, what do you want, sir? The angel said, your prayers and neighborly acts have brought you to God's attention. Here is what I want you to do. Send men to Joppa to get Simon, the one that everyone calls Peter. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, humbly, excitedly, willingly, and only with the fear of the Lord, we come to you today asking, with whom do you want us to share the faith? Hide me, Lord, and reveal your will. Have your way today. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Audacious. To Google, audacious means showing a willingness to take surprisingly bold risk. Merriam-Webster deems it an adjective describing a person as intrepidly daring, adventurous, recklessly bold, and contemptuous to laws and decorum. 
But it's Luke, the author of the book of Acts, that shows us what it means to be audacious. It begins with a humble yet bold question of a Gentile. What do you want, Lord? And it leads to a breakthrough response that ushers in an opportunity for Jews to freely proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone, all people of every culture, faith, and demographic. Let's look to the text. At the opening of Acts chapter 10, we meet Cornelius. The Bible tells us that he was a devout, God-fearing man, as everyone else in his family. But this man's pious lifestyle wasn't enough. All of the good deeds he found in his heart to do could not buy him forgiveness and eternal life. It could not beget him freedom in Christ or bring him or forge a saving relationship between him and the Father. Still by way of messenger, God visits Cornelius in his home and enters in. Isn't it in Luke chapter 7 that the same author of this text captures a similar moment between Jesus and a centurion? The centurion, like Cornelius, was a Roman military leader. Don't bother yourself with me, the unnamed centurion tells Jesus by way of messenger, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. This man says this even to Jesus because he knew that Jews did not do that. They didn't visit the homes or relax in the homes of people from other races. What if all of your life you were taught through practices and tales, traditions and past events, that there was a people, a race, a nation that was better than you and everybody else? It was no secret. People of other nations understood very well that the Jews were God's chosen people, his called out, his beloved, his favorites. It was widely believed that the Lord was on their side and only their side. It was believed that certain people, Gentile people, weren't good enough for the Lord to come into him or her in relationship as intimately and as personally as a neighbor would visit one's home. This created an international divide between Jews and non-Jews. Justifiably, it was believed to be such a thing as deserving and undeserving groups of people, and us versus them. The chosen versus the inferior, the favored versus the unseen, those that were considered clean and those that were so dirty that there was no cure for their human condition. Yet in this moment, an angel crosses an interracial threshold to visit this Gentile in his home, and he calls out Cornelius. Cornelius? God calls out a Gentile. To the Gentile, to the unbeliever, God says, I know your name. I know exactly who you are. I know exactly where you are, and I want to come in. With confidence, we can call out, we can shout out that the Lord knows your name. You are not a bother. You are our brothers and sisters. You are not an afterthought. You are on God's mind. There are people outside of ourselves that they may be lost, but with God, nothing is unreachable. Nothing is too dirty. Nothing is, un, um, nothing is unredeemable. God is calling out to those people, looking down on them, saying that they may be different, but they are not less than. They are still worthy enough and worth dying for. God accepts anyone who fears him and wants to do what's right. So for any unbeliever, any foreigner or stranger that is willing to turn away from sin and turn towards Christ, our response should be, here I am, Lord. Send me to them. You want them reconciled, and I'm going again. 
What is it that you want, Lord? Some translations describe this as a frightening experience. Yet in verse 4, Cornelius pushes past his fear and musters the audacity to ask a question. What do you want, sir? An angel responds, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. How meaningful must it must have been for Cornelius to know that the God of the Jews was looking down on his gifts and his offerings, and not in a way that people have looked down on him, his family, his people, Gentile people, ever before. The author he makes a point to tell us that Cornelius was a captain in the Italian regiment. He was a Roman. That means he was an enemy. Between the Jews and the Romans, there was a deep-rooted history of animosity and discord. By birth, Cornelius was a part of the group of people that had gravely oppressed, greatly mistreated, and in grand measure, grieved and persecuted Israel. And about 15 years prior, they participated in the hostile killing of the king of the Jews, our Jesus. While Greeks, Romans, Jews, and a number of other people groups lived and mixed together, it was only in a functional way. They were not friends. There were underlying hurt and ill sentiments among the nation. Yet it's almost as if God tells Cornelius, I see you Gentile seeking after me and you're gonna find me. You let me in, and now I'm gonna let you in. God is still the redeemer, even to the Gentiles. The son is still the man that enters into neighborhoods telling excluded women that I've seen and I know everything you've ever done. Jesus is still asking the lamest of folks, don't you wanna be healed? The Holy Spirit is still converting thousands reaching the captives and even our captors. His spirit is still communicating to the Father's vision to his followers. It's a vision not for ourselves to create a church that will solely separate us from those who want to compromise scripture and the faith, but it's a vision that empowers us to go with the gospel into places where people perceive themselves to be our enemies because they are still at odds with God. Yes, we are to come out of our silos of safety and comfortability and grant people access to our sanctuaries and our small groups. Yes, we are to partake in fellowship with those who have never been our friends before, those that are deviants, considered to be deplorable, disgusting, scary, and even dirty. Because our faith is about far more than a group of people recognizing that God does not favor one nation, one race, or one group of people over another. It is so much bigger than Christ's church cultivating the courage to love our contenders. It's about Jesus reminding us that he died for all, his friends and his enemies. This is what the Lord tells Cornelius he wants. Send men to Joppa. The angel says in verse 5, to get Simon, the one everyone calls Peter. Peter and Cornelius, they were on opposite sides of warring races. Still God summons an audacity within Cornelius to invite Peter, a Jewish person, to come into his home as if he were his next-door neighbor. This is culturally inappropriate. This is socially scandalous. This is even dangerous. However, I believe that this conversation reveals God's vision for the church. God is communicating his vision, what he wants, to Cornelius in a language that he will understand. The crossing over 
into territories, strategically beyond enemy lines, to extend kingdoms by evangelizing people. God later speaks to Peter in a form that he would understand, hunger. Let's look to the text. Verse 9 puts Peter up on a rooftop to pray. It was about noon, lunchtime the next day. As Peter is praying, his stomach probably starts to rumble, and so his need for food becomes useful in showing him through visions what God is most hungry for. By opening up the skies, God lowers with rope by his four corners for Peter what looked to be a huge blanket holding everything all together. It was full, completely filled. I imagine this to be an intense experience because this blanket, it contained a feast and overwhelming presence of every kind of animal, reptile, and bird you can think of. God nudges a hungry Peter. Go to it kill and eat. Yet Peter objects. The Bible tells us that three times Peter rejects what the Lord is offering. It was not aligned with tradition and he was not going to cross that line. Peter did not realize that it was God's broadest and most vibrant vision for the church. He didn't know that it wasn't about food, but it was about people, people of every kind. God is speaking to his church today in a language that we understand, renewal, newness, a new and renewed global Methodist church. Even still, it's about evangelizing people, every kind you can think of. Strategically and practically, that means we're going to have to cross our perceived enemy lines. God is revealing to us our future as a global Methodist church. He is showing us what he wants, and it should stretch us. It should puzzle us. It should even scare us. It should make us want to say no. But through the prompting, pushing, and power of the Holy Spirit, we can give birth to this new, to this radical, to this disciple-making movement that God has planned for us. And this movement will not be about our way of life for people. It will be about a way of life everlasting to all people. It will be about the way, the truth, and the life, our Lord who saves and redeems all people. It won't be about tradition and legalisms that create cultural divides and fortify enemy lines. It will be about how Jesus crossed those lines so that the dead could come alive. It will be about how when sin separated us from God and lines were drawn between us and them, God took it upon himself to cross it. From heaven, Jesus crossed over into earth, becoming fully man, while still divine to carry the faults of our sins. We were at odds, sinners, born that way, doomed, dirty, do death and destined for hell, and he was perfect, absolutely righteous. So he wanted to make things right for us. So he carried an old rugged cross to a mount that he was willing to die for, on us for us. He suffered for our transgressions so that truly today we can be with him in paradise. It will be a movement about Jesus, how he then crossed the true enemy's threshold into hell, snatching back the keys of hell, um, snatching back the keys of death, damnation, and the grave so that we could be set free from the slavery of our sins, so that we could be blameless just as he is blameless, and so that we could be healed and made well. It'll be about how his resurrected life crossed out condemnation. It crossed out a dire debt that we could never repay. It crossed out the suffering and sin of those who chose to turn to him. And we too now can cross those same lines, pushing back death in areas of the world where people are still hurting, people are still sick, despondent, and in despair. 
for Jesus, he is our crossover king, the Passover lamb, and he's the undefeatable cure for our human condition. That is what makes us overjoyous with a faith that is uncontainable, spilling over across the thresholds of unspoken boundaries and invisible divides, and with a gospel message that is for all people, people of every kind, including those who reside across enemy lines. It is why no one can stop us from shouting, we have been made right, we've been set right by Jesus the Messiah. We have a generous testimony for unbelievers, those that remain at odds with God. We have a bold and bright truth for the world, and it is that there is peace with God for us, all of us, through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Hallelujah. What an act to follow. This story begins with Jews and Romans functioning without true fellowship. But after God sends some Jewish Christians with the gospel to cross over the threshold of a Roman household to share the faith, the story ends with Peter spending several days with the Gentile believers. Peter doesn't just come in and then leave. He takes up residence with them. He teaches them how to be obedient and steadfast according to Christ's righteousness. Who are we going to teach, y'all? Where will we take up residence? Where will we take up residence knowing that our faith in Jesus Christ can cross thresholds? Where will we go knowing that his spirit is inviting us to move into another neighborhood? Who will be the first fruits of the global Methodist church? Are we bold enough to ask this audacious question? What is it? that you want, Lord. Yes, because without hindrance and hesitation and with his God-given authority and with great anticipation, Lord, yes, we accept, we accept, we accept. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God, amen. Well, I'm sitting here with Crystal after her amazing talk to the WCA Global Gathering. How does it feel? I feel relieved and I'm really happy to have served. Well, you you used the word audacious and it struck me as as you were talking and um, and we've talked before on the podcast. We've gotten a little bit of your story and and you're talking about the crossover king, which I don't know if you had a title for this message, but but audacious would have been a great title or the crossover king. Mm-hmm. Talk about how you've seen that in your in your own life and, and in the ministry that you do. Okay. Yeah. Um to be honest, crossing over was really the you know, the heart of the message. So if I had to start anywhere, it would be talking about um Jesus and how he crossed over for us, but also just remembering when I wrote this message, you know, um, I don't have any um, Jewish ancestry. So when we're talking about Gentiles, we're talking about me. And so there was a lot of times where I was the person that could have been the outcast or could have been the person that was not included and invited and even welcomed at the table. But um, somehow by um, God's divine way, I've been you know, included and added. And so I, I definitely appreciate all of the different ways where I've crossed over into things. Um, you asked about for, I guess, in my life for, uh, I guess, professionally or even, um, I'll say pastorally now, um, is because it's a call to be lady and I'm enjoying this season. But I've seen how God has really helped me, you know, step up from being someone that was in the pew to someone who's now, you know, speaking for him more and more and someone who's filling a call and a pushing and a leading to service church in a new way. 
you talked about the difference between uh, the, the races, essentially, the Gentile mm-hmm. and Jews um, and the story of Cornelius and how the angel, I wrote down this phrase, the angel crosses an interracial thrace, threshold. And we've talked about this before, but I think it's something that's really important for, for our movement to think about that. Mm-hmm. As, you're, as you're looking out there and you're thinking about the future, what, what are some things that, that excite you about the possibility of being able to do that in this, in this new movement mm-hmm. with the WCA? I'm really excited about, about it because right now it's on people's mind that we need to go and we need to make um, you know, disciples of all ethnic groups. But I think that understanding not, functionally, um, not functioning but more so fellowshipping and, you know, helping humans flourish is something that we need to um, really start having the conversation about. I think the heart is ready to go into places, but how are we going to take up residence? Like I ask, how are we going to um, get used to people and get um, start getting to know people more and more? And so um, people are, we're trying to figure it out, which I think is really great and which is really um, inspiring as well. Yeah. And taking up residence, where will we take up residence? And you've taken up residence with with people who are who are in need. Uh, your work mm-hmm. in the pregnancy center and and uh, and so forth, and and taking up residence now in academia mm-hmm. uh, and studying for for your for your PhD. Yes. So so I think that's a powerful image for people to think about. Where are we taking up residence? And it might be right where we are. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, and I will say I, I moved from the pregnancy center since you left me to I actually take up residence. I actually am the executive director of a homelessness agency that um, we live with 58 families. Wow. So I go home at night, but I, we've had to move into the communities. And since I've been there, you know, our offices and our headquarters were way over here, and the residents live different places. But where we had the most issues and a, a lot of sin and a lot of like you know ugly and devastating things going on, we moved our offices. And I said, we need to move in here. We need to get in here. And, you know, this has to be not just our um, our life's work. This needs to be our livelihood. If we're going to be models for the women and their children that live in these communities that we serve. That's powerful. So mm-hmm. it's definitely a message where the person speaking has the authority because you've actually done it. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for taking a little bit of time. And uh, I hope that as people listen to this message, they think about, where God has called them to take up residence and what thresholds they can cross in their own community. With God's help, I know we can. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. A great conversation with Crystal Gauld. You can listen to more of the speakers from the Global Gathering coming up over the next several weeks. As always, you can leave us your comments and questions by sending us an email at podcast at wesleyancovenant.org Follow us on Twitter at WCA Pod, and you can find lots of information about the WCA and what's happening on our website at wesleyancovenant.org. We'll see you back here again next time on Holy Conversations, the podcast of the Wesleyan Covenant Association.